Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the launch of our 11th SR Northern Fellow, Mr. Patrick Daniels' book, Stewardship of the Singapore Media, Staying the Course. We are grateful to everyone for taking the time to join us today and are delighted to have Minister for Communications and Information, Mrs. Josephine Teo, here as our guest of honour. Mr. Janadas Devon, Director of IPS, will begin with his welcome remarks. He will be followed by Minister Teo and finally, Mr. Patrick Daniel. We will then launch the book. After the launch, there will be a book signing session with Mr. Daniel. Before we begin, please put your mobile phones on silent mode. For other distinguished guests, friends of IPS, and members of the public who are unable to join us in person today, we have invited them to tune in to our Facebook page where we are live streaming the event. The live stream can also be watched after the event on our IPS Facebook page and YouTube channel. Online purchase of Mr. Daniel's book is now available on World Scientific Publishing's website. For the entire month of May, all volumes of the IPS Northern Lecture Series, including Mr. Daniel's book, can be purchased online with a 20% discount. Enter the promo code WSIPS20 for 20% off your purchase. Now, without further ado, Mr. Janadas Devon, Director of IPS, will deliver his welcome remarks. Director, please. Minister Josephine Teo, uh, Professor Danny Kua, Dean of the LKY School, Patrick and friends. Welcome to the launch of um, Stewardship of the Singapore Media, um, a collection of um, Patrick's three lectures, um, IPS Northern lectures last year, uh, including um, a summary of the post-lecture discussions uh, that ensued. Um, Patrick's book is actually He's actually the 11th SR Nathan Fellow, and this is the 11th book in the series. Um, there was a book before this um, uh, by Nolene Hazer on um, uh, multilateral, Singapore and multilateral governance, um, but um, Nolene was appointed, um, fortunately, unfortunately, special envoy, the UN special envoy to Myanmar, and therefore uh, we weren't able to launch um, her, her book. And, um, and the next book after this, uh, the next fellow after Patrick, was the 12th fellow, uh, Professor Wang Gangwu. His book will be launched um, uh, soon, um, titled Living with Civilizations, uh, Reflections, Reflections on Southeast Asia's Local and National um, Cultures. I'm happy to announce that we have lined up our next three SR Northern fellows. Um, um, next semester, the first semester of the next academic year, the 23-24 academic year, um, is uh, Professor Joseph Liao, Dean of the College of Humanities, Arts and Social Sciences at NTU. Um, he will speak um, on the current global geopolitical tensions, especially US-China relations, and how we might position ourselves in this landscape. Uh, Tan Chong Meng, uh, PSA's CEO, will, is next. Um, he will deliver his lectures on the changing economic landscape and its effect on international trade, of course, of great concern to us. He'll be our fellow in the second semester of the next academic year. Um, that is, um, which means next January, February, March next year. Um, Professor Lily Kong, president of SMU, will deliver her series of lectures in the first semester of the following academic year, 24-25. She will be speaking 
on the idea of the university um, in Singapore. Patrick's lectures um, were on the media, and I dare say he had a much more difficult time delivering his lectures than Nolene Hazer on multilateralism, about which you can't disagree, and, uh, and uh, Wang Gangwu on 100 years of civilization or thousands of years, about which you can't possibly be contradicted. Um, and they were very interesting lectures, um, but Patrick unfortunately had to talk about the evolving media landscape, um, and that is never a good time to speak about that. Um, his focus was on legacy media, uh, referring to mass media like print newspapers that dominated prior to the information age. He took a historical look at the media today and covered how our legacy media uh, should adapt to new trends. He delivered the lectures while SPH Holdings, or the old Singapore Press Holdings, was in the midst of restructuring its business model, which was no easy feat. I'm referring to the lectures in that period, not the restructuring itself, which was, of course, um, an ongoing exercise. I won't say more on this, and I'll leave it to my boss um, um, to say more, um, if she wishes. Um, Patrick and I um, were colleagues um, in SPA. She was my boss, actually, for a very long time, um, both as um, managing editor and then later as editor-in-chief. Um, and um, we had a very good working relationship and we became friends. Um, and um, I should say this about him, I've never met an editor who was more skilled uh, than him. Um, I saw him edit copy and it was really instructive. It was something I couldn't do. Um, and he just took a few words here and there and improved the copy while leaving the voice of the writer intact. I could never do that. Um, I tended to edit people and they all sounded like me, uh, <laughs> which, as you might guess, was not, um, was not pleasant. Um, and I learned a lot from him as, um, as, as, as an editor. Uh, people don't understand this, but actually it is a very, very difficult job uh, running um, any media company uh, enterprise in Singapore. Uh, there are lots of stakeholders that you have to manage, um, and you need not only be a very astute editor, but also a very able diplomat. Um, and uh, to keep so many people um, at least pacified so that the, the operation can go on is no easy feat. I will leave him to decide or describe what he had to do, uh, if he wishes, again, and, um, and now turn over the floor to my boss, who will have much more to say than I do. Thank you very much. <laughs>
Well, but good evening, everyone. Thank you for inviting me for this um, launch. Um, but formally, I also want to acknowledge uh, our hosts, um, IPS, LKY School of Public Policy, and of course, the author whose book we are launching today, Mr. Patrick Daniel, who is also the 11th SR Nathan Fellow for the Study of Singapore. I um, wanted to start off by, you know, uh, saying the most important things first, which is, yes, I have read the book and I highly recommend it to you too. Um, it is in fact a compilation of three lectures that uh, Patrick uh, delivered as an IPS fellow, and Janadas talked about that briefly. Uh, in case you yourself have not read the book or had the privilege of attending uh, the lectures, the first lecture had talked about press freedom versus regulation, and the evolution and management of Singapore's media industry. The Q&A session was moderated by Professor Chan Heng Chi. The second lecture highlighted the global challenge the media industry faces with the internet and explored the way forward for internet governance. The Q&A session was moderated by Dr. Carol Soon. The third lecture is particularly relevant because it envisioned what the future of media and journalism in Singapore would look like, should look like. The Q&A session was moderated by Dr. Shashi Jayakuma. Patrick is uniquely positioned to have dealt with these topics. And the challenge for him was that in delivering these lectures, he had to synthesize the most important insights that he had gathered over the years. Because in a lecture, you can't go on for too long, you will lose the audience. And apart from his considerable skills in copy editing, he has also very expertly summarized the key thoughts in his mind and put it across in a very accessible manner. For, for me, as a reader, even looking at it from a textual perspective, rather than having the privilege of being in the audience listening to him, that skill came across very strongly. It is not something that is easy to do at all, to summarize what are often complex topics and put them across in very accessible terms. I also say that he is uniquely positioned to have dealt with these topics because before he embarked on and succeeded in his media career, uh, Patrick had been in government and understood its inner workings. So he brought with him a unique perspective as well. More recently, he was the interim CEO of SBH Media Trust and was closely involved in the restructuring process. Therefore, when Patrick shares his insights on how Singapore media needs to transform to stay the course in these turbulent times, he does have a point of view that is well worth listening to and reading about. I will briefly touch on three themes in the book that resonated strongly with me. The first has to do with the importance of local media or legacy media, as Patrick describes them. This is a pivotal period for mainstream media outlets. Trusted and credible news media has never been more important than in this period of rapid change in the digital realm. Click-baked content we're all familiar with vies for the limited attention of consumers. 
false information has become pervasive. We sometimes really find ourselves in this very awkward position of not knowing what to believe anymore. At the same time, the business models of traditional media outlets have been disrupted by large online platforms, and quality journalism has to find new ways of paying for itself. Singapore's media outlets have not been spared this digital onslaught. As Patrick candidly says in his first lecture, and I quote him, our customers had decided to have their lunch at Google and Facebook, and they did not come back. Close quote. Based on the findings from the Reuters Institute of Digital News Report 2022, trust in new media, in news media in Singapore, has remained largely stable over the last five years and is amongst the highest level in the Asia-Pacific region. Singapore's level of trust in news media at 43% in 2022 is comparable to the global and regional average. Our local media has managed to preserve and build public trust throughout the years because they have always striven to provide accurate, objective and timely reporting. As I've said before, and I will say so again, the government is committed to supporting our local media players to stay the course. They continue to reach the vast majority of Singaporeans, even as the competition for their attention intensifies. We want local media to thrive and be able to provide high-quality, credible, local content to all Singaporeans. This is why we are funding both MediaCorp and SBH Media Trust in their transformation efforts. The second theme I would like to touch on is the relationship between the media and the government for now and in the future. It is vital that the government and the media can operate on the basis of mutual trust and respect. This relationship has been instrumental throughout our existence as an independent nation. But like all relationships, it is not without tension. It has to be constantly managed, but it has worked. Patrick described the relationship in his first lecture. He did not shy away from acknowledging the difficulties. At its heart, this relationship is built on the significant value that the government places on our local media's role in nation building. This will continue under the 4G leadership. If you are wondering how we will engage with the media, consider how we functioned during the COVID-19 pandemic. The multi-ministerial task force held regular press conferences to share the latest developments and public health measures as well as addressed the media's questions candidly. And very often they were tough, inconvenient questions. We shared information, including details of cases, promptly and fully. No vital information was withheld from the media or the public. As a result, our local media was able to reflect the situation accurately and present information to the public in ways that were easily understood. Unlike in many other countries, Singaporeans did not become divided along ideological lines 
about mask wearing, vaccinations, or safe distancing measures. This, however, did not mean that journalists saw eye to eye with the government on all issues concerning the pandemic. On some occasions, they wrote op-eds expressing their disagreement. There, were, there was editorial independence, but the media and the government operated on the same set of facts. The facts were not disputed. Will the government's provision of funding change this? Well, we see no value in putting the trust that our legacy media has built up with the public at risk. If the products they create lack credibility and are ignored by audiences, it does no one any good. Especially in these troubled times with external challenges expected to test our model of governance, the 4G leadership will look to the media to play its role in nation building and to help unite Singaporeans. This leads me to the final theme that resonated. In return for the government's support, our ask of the media companies is to strive towards successful digital transformation and be effective providers of media and news, whether in print, broadcast, or through the internet. In his third lecture, Patrick lays out a future for the SMT. He describes SMT in 2045 as an entity that is able to fully harness the benefits of technology to deliver better, more customized products to their audiences. It has strong regional reach and is financially independent because it is able to leverage technology to regain subscription and advertising revenues. What remains unchanging in this version of SMT is that it continues to provide trusted news as a public good. I urge our media companies, whether SMT or MediaCorp, to look closely at Patrick's scenario and his assessment of the capabilities required to get there in line with the process that he described as backcasting. To conclude, I have shared and outlined the three themes in the book that resonated with me. The importance of local media, the relationship between the media and government, and also a landscape in the future that we should care to create. I thank and congratulate Patrick on a book that challenges us all in thinking about the role of our local media players and what it will take for them to continue playing this role far into the future. Congratulations again and thank you. Thank you, Minister. May I now invite Mr. Daniel to deliver his remarks, please? I'm feeling a bit fluey today, so if I start coughing, please forgive me. Um, I must say good evening to first to three people, uh, Minister Josephine Thio, uh, Janadas, IPS Director, and also the Dean of LKY School, Danny Kwa. I don't think you all know him. Please, Danny, can you stand and sh show your face? Yeah. I must thank the Minister for doing me the huge honour of, you know, launching 
this humble little book of mine, which is a compilation of the three lectures I gave. Thank you, Minister, and thank you also for that speech. Uh, I must next thank Janadas for inviting me to be the 11th SR Nathan Fellow. Thank you also, Janadas, for your welcome remarks. Let me start by saying that I've long felt that the Singapore media is an interesting case study of stewardship, both good and bad. Although I used the word stewardship in my title, I didn't define it in my lectures, as I did really didn't want to get into, didn't want to get technical about definitions. I meant it simply as achieving the best future outcomes for all stakeholders, you know, sort of the layman understanding of stewardship. For the media, this stewardship involves both the media companies and our regulator, the Ministry of Comms and Info, or MCI. And this stewardship, I feel, starts with our media laws. I thus began my first lecture with this topic of media laws and the freedom of the press. I then covered the long history of the Singapore press because this history explains best the genesis of our media laws and how they came to be shaped the way they, they are. Um, sometimes we forget our own history, you know, about communist insurgents and all that kind of stuff. Yeah? So I wanted to cover that. It also highlights the government's active role in the media landscape in the post-colonial period. Some call this intervention. I prefer to see it as stewardship, but again, with good and not so good parts of that stewardship. But I wanted to describe it, and then you, you know, people can consider whether that's good or whether that's not so good, but I wanted to say that the intentions were always to get a better future outcome. And you can go right or you can go wrong with it. And sometimes you have to make a U-turn. The history also showed one other thing. Our media laws are vintage Lee Kuan Yew. You know? Realist in their conception, purposeful in their application, brutal when necessary. Mr. Lee knew firsthand the power of the media, which is often subtle and not always apparent. But he had a further insight. To regulate the media, you must regulate the owners of the media, where the real power resides. Not so much the editors and journalists. I mean, we, 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 we're just there to do our, do our job. But the the regulation must cover the owner. This is why the key part of our Newspaper and Printing Presses Act of 1974 are the restrictions on the ownership of newspapers. Now, not surprisingly, of course, only Singaporeans can own newspapers in Singapore, and there can be no foreign funding. Okay, that's the first part. But the killer provision is the one... Uh, that for many years stipulated that no one person 
can own more than 5% of a new newspaper company's shares. 5%. This was later changed, and now they allow for a 12% controller, including associates. But even with 12%, uh, put simply, in Singapore, there can't be a media baron, you know, the likes of Rupert Murdoch. You know, no chance. And deliberately, that's the aim. So if you want to be a business baron, you've got to go and look for some other sector like banking or, you know, property development. In the media, forget it. No tycoons and media barons. I want to cite one episode that I remember just to elaborate this point. When Tony Tan became chairman of Singapore Press Holdings in 20, 2005, after he retired from politics, Alan Chan and I organized a trip for him to visit newspapers in London. Alan Chan was the CEO of SPH then. After visiting two papers, I shall not mention the names, but two papers that were making losses, we met one that was profitable. And Dr. Tang commended the owner for running a, a profitable newspaper group. But then he asked him, he said, tell me something, why do your rival papers continue to publish when they make losses year after year? And they're not small losses of 50 million pounds, 100 million pounds. Why do they continue publishing? And the answer he got was, you know, this owner gave an answer that was incredibly candid. He said, oh, very simple. He said, in this country, when you own a newspaper and you invite the prime minister to come for breakfast, he comes. <laughs> to which Dr. Tan said, ah, I see. Okay? Now, of course, not all media owners are in it for the power. But the fact is, some are, and some do wield their power. So the laws were crafted, and only Miss Lee can think of this, to make sure the owners are, you know, nobody owns more than 5%. Okay? So 20 of you got to get together and own a newspaper, and 20 of you have to be tycoons, you know? Otherwise, it's all controlled that way. Now, another key feature of the 1974 Act is that the newspaper companies must issue 1% of their shares as what they call management shares, which have to be held by only persons that the minister decides. Okay? First part of it. And when it comes to the appointment of directors, these management shares have 200 times the voting power. Okay? So you do the math. Yeah? 200 times times, two, uh, 1 times 200, 1% times 200, versus 99% times 1. <laughs> so you know who trumps who, you know? So you know who controls director appointments. Hold, hold your houses. There's a full story here. The irony is, uh, actually, a small irony, by the way, uh, is that the concept of these management shares actually was introduced in 1950, guessed by whom? By the directors of the Singapore, uh, of the Straits Times Press, the British directors 
of the Straits Times Press who wanted to list the company. So, to make sure they remain in control, they introduced management shares so that they will be in control no matter who owns the other shares. And they gave themselves 300 times the voting power. <laughs> you know? So when the law was created, they said, ah, that's quite clever. The only change they made was, instead of giving it to the British owners, they gave it to the minister who would then say, okay, you know, Gina, you hold one, you hold one, you hold, and when it comes to directors, I'll tell you who to vote for. Yeah? So that was it. Now, um, where was I? So the regime that we have in Singapore is this. The ownership of media companies is strictly restricted. Ownership must be Singaporean, etc. And your shares, you cannot be the tycoon. MCI has the ultimate vote of appointments of directors and the chairman. Okay? But it then leaves, and I can say this because I've been in the business, it then leaves the running of the media company to the board and directors. It doesn't catch out them, you know, every day. Just leaves it to them. And the editors and journalists, we are largely left to do our professional job. Okay? I know critics uh, might disagree, but this regime is actually quite a smart way to regulate the media. And, and why is it a smart way? Because it gives journalists room for good, meaningful journalism. We just do our jobs. Once in a while, we have a little bit of a run-in here and there, you know. But day to day, you know, it just, they just leave us alone to get our jobs done. It's actually sort of like having levers to pull only when in extremists. And the, the law is crafted that way. Now, as an aside, I, you know, I, uh, it, it pains me that today uh, many people, including some important people, seem happy to operate in this post-truth world where you can lie through your teeth and get away with it. I just hope that this does not infect the mainstream media because then the levers will come out. Accuracy must remain a key principle in media ethics. It also pains me that sometimes in this hyper-polarized world, professional news organizations are written off by some critics as producers of fake news. While at the same time, unverified content from dubious sources are lapped up and shared virally as if it's gospel truth. It just pains me, you know? But, and this is symptomatic of a, of a larger problem, which is that the massive amounts of disinformation and propaganda are being purveyed through social and digital platforms, often using algorithm-based targeting. So you're targeted. You read one story, they like it, you get more. And before you know it, the feed comes in. You know, you're, you're, you're consuming it. And um, what this happens is that it feeds and deepens the polarization in so many societies. Now, the rub is that these tech platforms are largely unregulated. Sometimes, every once in a while, they get slapped on the wrist. 
by regulators who try to play catch-up. But in most jurisdictions, the tech platforms are immune from any legal responsibility. You, you can't get to them. They say, no, I'm just a platform. I don't take, you know, no matter what rubbish goes through it, what libel runs through it, I'm just a platform. And that's the law. This, of course, brings me back to the digital revolution and the massive disruption that it has caused, which I covered in my lectures. Most legacy titles, Straits Times, everybody, have embraced digital channels and have held on to their audiences. But the problem is, the advertising revenues that, have, that we have relied on to pay for our newsrooms have all been vacuumed up by the giant tech platforms. Literally, whoosh, the whole thing has gone. And, uh, and not just one paper, they've, they've vacuumed up the entire industry's advertising revenues. So we're talking about like 100 billion a year. Gone, all gone to them. Now, sadly, the business side of the digital companies are even more unregulated than the content side. If you are complaining about the content side, in the, digital, in the, the business side, nothing. They can do whatever they like. And they do do whatever they like, except once in a while when they get caught. Yeah? Um, for instance, I mean, the, 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 there's a shocking amount of digital advertising fraud in the entire ecosystem, which I, I used a case study of, you know, as a case study in my, one of my lectures. But unfortunately, effective regulation, you know, in the digital advertising space or the business side is not anywhere near the horizon. So, this then remains, as the minister said, the sad backdrop to the formation of SPH Media Trust. In a nutshell, we have a well-regulated legacy media fighting against largely unregulated platforms run by tech giants. It is a battle that is so hard to win. This was why MCI thought very hard about the likely future outcome and took the huge decision to have to work with SPH to spin off the, the media business and recommend funding the SPH Media Trust to the tune of 180 million a year to support continued investments that are needed. MCI was no doubt uh, aided by its long experience funding MediaCorp and seeing the positive results. I know there are concerns about editorial in, uh, independence, that he who pays the piper surely gets to call the tune. Uh, but MCI knows, as the minister just said, that products that lack credibility are of no use to anyone. And, and that has been our consistent line to Mr. Lee Kuan Yew, to Mr. Go Chok Tong, to you know, Minister Lee Sien Lung said, hey, listen, if we can't, if we are not a credible news outlet, news product, we, you know, nobody will read us. So they understand that because we've been, that's been our, our uh, standard line as it were. And, and we believe it and they believe it too. 
Um, so that's, but thus far, the change in the funding model since last year has not impacted editorial integrity, at least as of now, and I hope it will continue this way. Uh, so the challenge facing the SPH Media Trust, its board, its management, its staff, is to work hard to demonstrate that they are worthy of this funding, okay? that they will produce credible content that are trusted and to reach growing audiences. So let me keep it short. I can talk all day. No? So let me keep it short and end here. Uh, thank you all you know, so very much for taking the time to, to come. Uh, this is just my modest contribution to the, to the field that I, I've devoted 35 years to, you know, and uh, uh, I was quite happy to do it. it. I did a lot of work, did a lot of research, and uh, I hope, you know, you'll find it moderately interesting. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Daniel. Please remain on stage. May I now invite Minister Teo and Director to the stage for the launch of the book, please. We will now launch the book. Mr. Daniel will now present Minister Teo with a copy of the book. And now, and now Director will present Mr. Daniel with a token of appreciation from IPS. The book is now launched. Thank you everyone for attending and have a good evening ahead. <laughs>